perhaps once in every generation a film comes along that is so important cinematically, culturally, sociologically, historically that it almost defies description. This week on Comedy Tragedy Marriage, we discuss such a film. Welcome to Comedy Tragedy Marriage, the podcast where a longtime married couple watch a thing. Each week we alternate and we take turns deciding on what the thing is that we're going to watch. And then we watch it and then we talk about it and share our talk with y'all. Aren't you lucky? I am Stan <laughs> the Movie Man uh, when there are movies, which is finally starting to trickle out. Uh, I review films at StanTheMovieMan.com and monthly for WIMZ.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan, and you can follow the podcast at CT Marriage. And I am joined by the voice, the dulcet tones that you've already heard, Aww. by my better half. Other half? Um... Maud the Maudlin Broad. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of what this one's about. It, it, Maudlin is not really the best description, but it's catchy with Maud, so we're, I'm I'm going to roll with that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this week, we watched, both of us for the first time, the Steven Spielberg classic Schindler's List uh, from 1993. It stars Liam Neeson, Ben Kingsley, Ray Fiennes, Carolyn Goodall, and many, many more. Uh, why don't you give them a brief rundown of the uh, of the plot of Schindler's List? Okay, I'm going to borrow from the Wikipedia page for a minute. Okay. Um, quoting, Schindler's List is a 1993 American epic historical drama. Boy, howdy. Mm-hmm. Directed and produced by Steven Spielberg and written by Steven Zeilion. It is based on the 1982 novel Schindler's Ark by Australian novelist Thomas Kennelly. The film follows, follows Oscar Schindler, a real-life figure, German industrialist, who together with his wife Emily Schindler saved more than a thousand mostly Polish-Jewish refugees from the Holocaust by employing them in his factories during World War II. Neither of us had ever seen this before. Right. For for since forever, I have wanted to watch it, but um, it is lengthy. It is a time commitment. Mm -hmm. It is an emotional commitment mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I just years have gone by, and it just never happened. And in the interim, it has become such a, a part of the fabric of American culture. This film. Um, even, even you know, being brought up in pop culture references, a Seinfeld reference to yes. Schindler's List comes to mind, which yeah. is, you know, flippant and half-baked at best. Um, but I have, uh, and I told you this last night after watching this, I have felt, I have long felt um, socially illiterate and culturally illiterate not having seen this film until, until now because it's just so everybody's seen it it seems mm, yeah um and it is um uh, you know 
so many times when, when I go see a movie in a theater, uh, depending on the film, the, there's some chatter in the crowd as we're leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's some sort of uh, superhero action movie, there's a lot more chatter. Or a Star Wars movie, as people are going, "Did you see that?" And oh my God! Was, can you believe that? Yeah, what? What? That wasn't. That was incredible. And you know, you and I, just here in our living room, were silent for several minutes after the end of this movie. And I can't imagine there was a whole lot of chitter chatter going on in 93 as people were coming out of the theater. I can't imagine seeing this on a large screen. Yeah, I, I With the noise and the, um, the visual effects being what they were, I, I, because on our television where we streamed it, um, it, it was graphic mm-hmm. and larger than life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was pretty much undone. The um, the percussive shots of the when a Nazi walks up to a Jew and just puts a bullet in their the head. The gunfire, yeah. That 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 it's more than a pop. It's a small explosion, um, at least in the sound design, and it. A couple of times I jumped, even though I knew what they were about to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this film is beautiful and hideous mm-hmm. and heartbreaking and graphic and emotionally devastating in the best way, I think. Um, at the end, when the credits were scrolling by and you went to excuse yourself to go to the restroom mm-hmm. and you said it feels disrespectful to, it did. to to get up to go to the bathroom. The the music at the end is, is so melancholy and haunting and, you know, it, spoiler alert, the film ends with a long line of people putting, which I suppose is a Jewish tradition, yes, putting, putting stones... stones on Oscar Schindler's grave, um, and uh, you know this this music's playing, and it's just like, okay, y- you devastated me enough with all the murder and the starvation and the deprivation and the the lowest levels of man's inhumanity to man. Yeah for three hours and then you're gonna rip my heart out with this yeah uh it's uh it is a film that you kind of have to be prepared for yeah uh and i've you know of course heard about this and of course the seinfeld joke and how uh in that uh episode of seinfeld he gets almost ostracized because he made out during he, Schindler's he list. He made out with his girlfriend during Schindler's list. Um, and, you know, it's just sort of this thing. And we've seen a bunch of World War II documentaries uh, that have showed the awful things the Nazis did in their concentration camps. Yeah. But those are sort of less effective than this movie in in showing the depravity because it's sort of on a broader the documentaries 
are sort of broad in that they're showing you the things that happened to the Jewish race, which is horrendous. Yeah. But some of the people you see die in Schindler's List are people that you sort of come to know. Yeah. Or um, there, there's an engineer that tells them they need to re tear out and re-pour the foundation, foundation and and she's shot for doing her job and then they end up doing what she said anyway. Yeah, it's like she was right, but yes. she argued so she had to go. That's right. Um, and I think seeing the cruelty on a individual level perhaps is what made uh, the movie more affecting than seeing a documentary on the Holocaust. I tend to agree. It, we, we are um, given the narrative of one person's influence and effect on a microcosm of Jewish Poland mm-hmm. um, and the more than thousand people he basically bought their way out of. And Oscar Schindler was a real life person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't done enough research in finding, in trying to figure out how much of the narrative of this film and the novel upon which it was based is, you know, concrete fact and how much um, literary license was taken. But Oscar Schindler did exist. It is fact that he did um, get more than a thousand Polish Jews out. Yes. Um, he, um, he went broke doing that. Uh, I, did, I did do a little, just a quick scroll through his wiki page. Yeah. But uh, he went broke with doing all the bribes and buying all the black market stuff to bribe the Nazi officers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at great personal cost to himself, trying to get these people into his factory so that, uh, for instance, um, they they changed some dates and times and events a little bit. Yeah. But uh, when they purged the Polish ghetto, when the Nazis came in and started killing everybody, Schindler had all of his, he apparently knew about it in advance, and he had all of his workers stay in the factory overnight so that they weren't down there. Yeah. Um, that is 15 minutes of brutal cinema right there. It is, especially when you see children trying to run and hide uh, in cubbies and and in under floorboards. Oh, that, this one there's kid. actually two of those. One is actually at a concentration camp uh, where the boy gets in the latrine. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's it is a devastating film that I never want to see again. <laughs> I, I'm glad I've seen it. See, I could watch it again tomorrow. Eh. But uh, no. it's the different. It's a difference in psyche. It's different in difference in mindset and what mood you're in. And, um, but I get what you're saying. I yeah, feel like that was Catcher in the Rye. I've read it once. I'm glad I read it once. I never have to read it again. It is a um, a devastating film. 
in part because it is so well made. It's almost flawless. Uh, I mean, from a quote-unquote critical standpoint, and I'm, I am not a film critic, but I'm a very critical person. Mm-hmm. I... I sat with rapt attention through the entire film. I did not for one second get antsy or think this thing is going too slowly or it, it just, this is a masterpiece to me. I think it, it's perfectly paced, beautifully acted, gorgeously written. The photography, the sound editing and design um, it's a John Williams score, which just... which was a surprise to me. Yeah, it well, is it's not, not. It it's is not Star Wars. Well, Star it's, Wars. It is not the giant orchestral themes that he would normally do. It's all very subdued and and melancholy. It's um, sweeping, but not bombastic. Yes, um, and it's all in black and white, with a few exceptions. Oh, God, the little girl in the red coat. Yes. Uh, you see a little girl. She's she's one of the children in the camp or in, in um, no, she's she's in the ghetto. Yeah. Um, and she's running around trying to hide, uh, but she winds up in a camp. Now, her coat is red, and you know that because Everything hers, else is black and white. Right. Hers is the only thing in color is this red coat. Um and you see that red coat later in a god-awful way. Um, it's just those little things. I mean, they could have... You wouldn't know that it's her if he didn't use the red. That's exactly why. I know. Why. It's, I know. A, it's, it's a beautifully utilized device. And, and Schindler knows it's her as well. Yeah. Because he saw her running around. Uh, yeah, it's... And let's talk about Liam Neeson's performance here. He's so detestable early on because he's just there to make money and he doesn't care that he's using slave labor to do it. Yeah. He, um, he's just this rich guy intent on becoming a richer guy, kind of... Not a hedonist exactly, but definitely self-indulgent and not necessarily thinking about the other guy. Oh, no, he doesn't. He only is interested early on in how the Nazis can make him wealthy uh, by signing contracts with them to supply at first pots and pans and then later munitions. uh, munitions. Um, And... He will do whatever is necessary to get those contracts by whining and dining yeah. the top local Nazi officials so that he can he can get their business. And uh, you know, uh, Stern um, Ben Kingsley's ben character Kingsley brilliantly portrayed, by the way, tells him that um, uh, the Jews are however many marks per day. Uh, each, which is paid to the Nazis, mm-hmm. uh, but the poles are more expensive. They cost a little more. So, yeah. you know, of course, he says, I "Just we'll just use the Jews. They're cheaper. They, yeah, they cost more less. profit." So, yeah, he's, and I disagree. He is a hedonist. I 
you know, he I'm enjoys saving, food. I'm saving that description for another character. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you on yeah. that one, but, um, you know, Schindler loves to eat fine food and drink wine and... Um, he loves the ladies. Loves the ladies. And uh, even though he's married, he has at least one mistress. That we know of. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, he's he's just this guy that's in it for himself. He sees no further than the end of his own nose. Uh, and what, his checkbook. What can you do for me? I'll give you this if you do this, if you give me that. Yeah. And Itchy and scratchy. Yeah. He's... Uh, He's he's just this this guy who who is greedy and his whole motivation at first is to make as much money as he can and when the war's over he'll have two cra uh two uh you know uh, two big boxes full of money and he'll he'll live the rest of his life in in uh, luxury. Yeah. Um I felt like his performance was beautiful and subdued and I mean we didn't see a whole lot of extremes in emotion until the end till the very end yeah what I want to talk about is okay. Rafe freaking fines okay <laughs> this is an actor I adore okay mm -hmm. this is this I fell in love with him in the English patient he just he's a beautiful man and I loathed him well, as yes. Amon Gutt, um, who was in also in real life was a real person. Yes. He was not composited. Um, but Rafe Fine's portrayal of this Nazi guard suck up murdering bastard yes. is just extraordinary. Yeah, it's there's there is so much to hate there. Yeah, there's depths. I, this movie could not have been easy to make oh, Lord, just no. on the individuals playing these parts because of just the, the callous disregard for life, the, the depravity of uh, standing on his balcony in his home, which is very nice that he complained about because it wasn't a villa. I don't know what constitutes a villa. Um, it's a real fancy house, and apparently it wasn't fancy enough. Yeah, the, and this it overlooks the camp uh, that he's overseeing, and he's got his rifle with his telescoping tele, uh, telescope his on it, and he's just picking off prisoners. First thing in the morning, his, his naked girlfriend is still in the bed, and he's up. And she's annoyed the, from the noise. Yeah, he's he's up on the balcony picking off Jews. Yeah. With his gun. And then he goes and pees, just like, oh, I've killed a few people. I have to pee now. Let's have coffee and start our day. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there. he is so loathsome and so despisable in this film. And this is several years prior to English Patient. I have to think that his, his real from this film mm. helped get him that film and oh. anything that happened in between. Couldn't have hurt. Uh, and he played that uh, movie director in Hail Caesar, the one who was trying to get the cowboy star to say the to say the <laughs> phrase, uh, to say the words all in a row. Yes, and couldn't make what it did, happen. What did it would be so true, or what did it be were so easy, or whatever it is the yeah. line? Uh, he smacks him a time or two. 
Um, yeah, he and his character is so consistent through the film, consistently terrible. That one for that one brief moment where he, after he's spoken with Schindler about, um, I pardon you. You know, That's that, where your power is. Yes, uh, your is power in, is is in not killing people, even though you could, or even would have a reason to, choosing not to. That's power. That's real power. And for about five minutes, he exercises that power to not kill, and then it's like he's over it. And he's going to start. He's going to pick up right where he left off. He seems to take great, perverse joy in in taking in the taking of lives now i don't know if he's just such a jew hating nazi guard that 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 is where the joy in killing comes from or if he would just be a joyful killer of any any person well it's difficult to say you know, which is the chicken and which is the egg yeah. in that particular um, uh, scenario. Um, he kills so easily because he has the authority, not only as the director of the camp, but because he's a Nazi officer mm-hmm. um, and can do to the prisoners whatever he wants as long as their production quota, because they were all slave labor to one extent or another, uh, as, long as, as long as he produces, uh, he can treat them however he wants, uh, preferably cruelly, because that was the whole point of the camps and uh, the final solution. But, yeah, he's, he is just a terrible, terrible person. Um, he's a Nazi officer, so yeah, he is. But, uh, you know, his performance is so loathsome that I agree with you. I hated him from the very beginning. There's this smarmy demeanor and his facial expressions, which, which... is part of being a good actor, and he is a brilliant actor because yeah. no one wants to be this person. I can't imagine um, actors who play who play such disgusting human beings how they get inside their heads to draw that out of themselves and what it takes to recover from that because I would imagine that some PTSD probably results from roles like this. Yeah, especially like all those um, the guys playing the German guards who just would walk up behind somebody and and fire the gun. Um, And um, the the, and you know it just popped into my head. The special effects on that are spectacular and yeah. horrendous uh it's, but it's horrific to watch yeah the uh uh the whole um uh, thing with the um uh the camps and um you know at one point schindler walks out of a meeting i think with some high nazi mucky muck and looks like it's snowing but it's not snow it's ash 
Um, that realization, even now, I'm undone. Mm -hmm. I mean, to throw a little horrendous history in here, they had been burying all of the people that died in the various camps. Mass graves. Mass graves. But they were running out of room in the land they had easy access to. And then I think there was also a, a smell issue. So they wound up just stacking every, digging them up, stacking them up, and burning them. Yeah. Um, it's, and they show that in this movie, which is where we see the little girl again. Yeah. Um, it is. It is devastating. It, I know I've said that like three times now. But there are, there, it's hard to come up with adjectives that are adequate for this. Because it, it, it will almost sound like I didn't like the movie. And I didn't like the movie. But it is so well made and, and so comprehensive. And for the most part, uh, sticks pretty close with the reality of... Oscar Schindler and the people that he um, he worked with directly the Jews in his factory the, Schindler Juden yeah, that's yeah they were named the Schindler Juden Schindler Juden um, Schindler's Jews mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's just a overwhelming film that you know three hours and twenty minutes um, it's you'll need a potty break but that is actually good because you're going to need you know to walk away for a minute at least most people i hope would uh and just take a break and take a breath take a breath and maybe eat a cookie um and uh, look at something pretty for a minute and then come back and finish it um because it is very few movies, very few experiences in my life have made me feel the way Schindler's List did. Yeah, I would have to agree. You want to take a break and then rate it? I think we should, because we could use... We need a minute. We need a minute. <laughs> we'll be back uh, to talk a little bit more about Schindler's List, as well as what we've watched right after this. Welcome back to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. We filled um, a giant vacant hole in our movie uh, resume by watching Schindler's List. It is available to stream on Netflix and you can rent it on the various platforms. Um, this was Maude's choice this week. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and I promise I won't hold it against her. Um, because the film is devastating, and I've said that four times now, maybe even more. But uh, it is an important movie that captures a time in world history that is frightening con to consider that it actually happened. That this um, regime comes to power... Uh, with the promises of um, uh, prosperity 
and that um, everyone will uh, get rich, uh, things will be better, the trains will run on time, uh, they created the Autobahn, uh, they have the 1936 Olympics in, in Germany, which is this giant uh, propaganda opportunity to show them what a gorgeous... Uh, uh, country Germany is and it is very pretty um, but that uh, how the Nazi regime has uh, cleaned up the streets and that's that's the crux of it right there cleaning up racial purity well that's the, what it turned the, into the, yes. Ar the Aryan race um, yeah so um, how, how this organization, this evil, um, organization was able to hypnotize a, a country into just going along with whatever, and the cost that, that eventually, uh, the toll it took on Europe and the entire world, uh, and the Jews. So. Well, the quote is... All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Um, that's absolutely true. I paraphrase, but... Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, so, Schindler's List. Really a unnecessary question to ask. What do you rate it? This film's a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much impossible to criticize... Um, eleventy. Yeah, I agree. Eleventy for me as well. Eleventy, yeah. Um, a bit of commentary. It is terrifying to realize how recently in world history these events took place. Mm -hmm. It is even more terrifying to realize that there are forces, factions, groups of revisionists who want to try to mitigate it, wash it away, deny it completely, revise it away. You know, mm -hmm. revisionist historians want to say that it never happened. Mm -hmm. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. If, you know, those who do not learn from history will be doomed to repeat it. And God help us. Yeah. God help us. So. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's our thoughts on Schindler's List. Next week, maybe a comedy, huh? Uh, I don't yeah. Know, it's, your, it's your turn. Do what you want. <laughs> uh, we, we definitely have hit the tragedy mark of oh, comedy yeah. tragedy marriage this week. Faux show. Yes, definitely. So. so, tell me, what have you been watching? Um, Pretty much what you've been watching. Um, only not everything that you've been watching. We watched um, some more Orvilles. Mm -hmm. I'm digging on the Orville, I have to say. Um, it's not, it's like, it's like a respectful send-up of the Star Trek franchises. Um, I'm, it, it's fun. You don't have to think too hard. Um, it's kind of got a goofball slant on it. Seth MacFarlane, obviously, puts a goofball slant on it um but i'm i'm enjoying it 
I I have a few issues with it. Um, for one, um, I don't know if McFarlane is trying to make a drama or a dramedy or a or what because there are some some moments of humor in every episode sure and they kind of stick out like sore thumbs to me um Uh, the um and they use a lot of references that 500 years in the future i sincerely doubt a lot of pop culture stuff. Yeah. Like when uh, the 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 god of the uh, of the krill, the the thing they worship is called Avis. So everything was, you know, we Hertz try harder. Yeah, yeah, and Hertz references. Yeah, and and it you know nobody's gonna I, probably fifty percent of the people alive who would see that wouldn't get the joke. So I, you know. And that's being nitpicky. I'll admit it. But they do, they do tend to. What I have noticed is that it tends to focus on some social issue every episode. Yes. Yes. And either satirize it or spotlight it or it just it's it's um, sometimes a little heavy-handed. Yes, the social media um, attack. Was, Majority rules was yeah, the title of that episode, uh, where every people were essentially put on trial if they went viral for a photo or a video, and people could decide if they needed to be re-educated. They get hooked up to this machine and have their brain scrambled. Correction. Uh, yes, a um, correction. Yeah, the name of that episode was called Majority Rules. Basically. On this, in this civilization, you're born, you get a lifetime's worth of downvote points. And once you use those up, where, you know, if you make some kind of social faux pas or something, and, you know, you're, and everyone's connected to what they call the master feed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's constant and it's everywhere. And um, once you do something that gets you tossed onto the master feed, if you exceed your number of downvotes, you get sent off to trial, and if you don't, if you can't acquit yourself positively in the trial, you go off to be corrected, which is basically like electroshock lobotomy situation. But the trial is appearance on various talk shows. Um, one of them was like the talk or the I think view. They called it the chat. Um, and uh, another one, I don't remember the name of it, but it looked like a you know, a late night talk show, a guy sitting at a desk talking to a guest and everybody has these badges on their chest. And, uh, if some, if you have a personal interaction with somebody that you find negative, you can hit the red down button, or if it was positive, you can hit the green up button. And if you hit 10 million, you 10 million down votes, you get hooked up to this machine. And that was taking a sledgehammer to Social the media. issue of cancel culture. Of course, this was, I think, probably a couple of years before that phrase was even created. 2017, so yeah. And uh, and how social media is dominant uh, in some people's lives and how uh, likes um, and shares and 
and I'm guilty of it too. It makes me very happy when I see somebody like something I put on Twitter, uh, yeah. hashtag fame whore. That, or retweet it even. Or retweet, or, you know, if I get in a discussion with somebody, a positive discussion. Oh that, my God, you're so cool. That makes me very happy. But, well, no, nobody's ever said that about me. Oh my but, God, you're so cool. I just uh, said it. No, well, you did, but you didn't say it on Twitter, so. Uh, oh. We, um, Hashtag sorry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that... That one's about as subtle as a sledgehammer in a china factory. So, uh, I'm still digging the Orville. It's enjoyable. Um, it is sort of mindless fun for the most part. Uh, the episode where the doctor gets separated from her children and Isaac, the robot, uh, artificial life form. Um, robot. Um, takes and, care of the kids. And the robot has to take care of the kids and she gets captured by this guy. Um, you know, that episode was a fairly sort of standard storyline kind of sci-fi with sci-fi elements. That was a very Star Trek-y feeling episode plot line. Yeah. Um, so I prefer if they stick to that, the, the one where the blue alien that uh, the first officer had the affair with, <laughs> who comes on board and he's in heat and then anybody he's he touches. Fer- he's pheromoning everybody and everybody falls in lust with each other. It's, yeah. That was humorous. Um, so, you know, that one, I, I did enjoy that one. That was one of the goofier episodes we've seen so far. And I think we've only watched six of the first season so far. So far. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't dislike it to the point where I don't want to watch it anymore, but it isn't at the top of my list of things to watch. Lower Decks. You digging that? I do enjoy Lower Decks. Uh, that is the uh, Star Trek animated show on CBS All Access. Um, and uh, so far, that has that has been pleasing. Um, yeah, I'm as, digging it. As, again, it is a less serious uh, take on... But still uh, keeping up with the whole Star Trek mythos. Um, Ooh, mythos. Thank you. I'm You're even, fancy. I am not entirely sure I use that word right. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it, is, it is Trek while still being different. So Yeah, well, it's, it's an animated sort of more comedic send-up. Of Trek. I don't think it's but a send-up as much as just a, a skewed view of, of... Yeah, I mean, we see Bajorans, and we see, you know, we see species and stuff that we're familiar with, as well as new people. Yes. So, uh, I uh, they've only had two episodes. Two? I think it's two. Maybe three. I don't remember. Anyway. Uh, no, I think it's three. So, they, uh, new episodes drop every Thursday. Um, so if you have CBS All Access and you like Star Trek, then give Lower Decks a try. What did we watch over the weekend? Well, um, I watched the six-part documentary High Score. I watched pieces of that with you. That was interesting. On the history of video games. And yes, it is very interesting. Um, they start back, you know, to pre-Pong and, um... I loved Pong. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and um, move forward through time with the various technological innovations and and also the different types of video games. Uh, Sega! And, 
Uh, yeah, Sorry. and uh, that, that that takes up a big <laughs> chunk of episode. Usually they have a theme in each episode. Um, and, you know, there's there's a couple about Nintendo. Um, and, uh, and they also get into the controversy of violent video games and mm-hmm. the, the Senate committee hearing uh, that focused particularly on a sort of choose-your-own-adventure video. It, it, was, uh, it wasn't uh, digitally created characters. They were characters that had been uh, actors that had been filmed on a soundstage, and they lost their minds because of the various things that go on in the game. Um, the Senate did, and uh, you know they had these. Uh, like that's the only time the Senate's lost their mind. Well, please. The, um, they had these uh, crusaders. Um, you know, this is going to teach our children how to kill, and you know, and all this overblown stuff. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of fun to see all that stuff. Uh, I actually hope they do another series uh, about more modern. Uh, like the console wars between PlayStation and Xbox, and um, the the improvement in graphics, and and you know things like Fortnite and um, um, multiplayer games, um, games as service, as um, they refer to some of those. Yeah, it's all Game Boy to me. Yeah. all the gaming is like Game Boy. Exactly. So yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was uh, interesting. It yes. was. Um, and they talked to a lot of people who were there at the very beginning and who actually created some of the games. They talked to several of the Japanese creators of, like, Donkey Kong and uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, um, and, the Sonic episode was cool. And, and all, of, all of, you know, stuff like that. And, and the artists who designed the characters who did these very... Uh, detailed drawings of monsters and heroes, and and then uh, since it was an eight-bit system, the most it could be rendered was these blocks that kind of moved around that sort of looked like they were walking. Little pixels that yeah. that have that have since, of course, gotten much much better. So that's called High Score. It's on Netflix. We watched the Eames documentary. Yes, that's on Curiosity Stream. Um, documentary about Charles and Ray Eames, um, uber designers of mid-century modern furniture. It all started with a chair, mm-hmm. and um, it was very interesting to hear from a lot of the designers who had worked in their studio back in the day, mm-hmm. talking about the how the office culture was so different and quirky, and how a lot of people who wouldn't normally fit into a traditional work environment or in an office or even in a design firm um, found their niche with Charles and Ray Eames. That's because Charles and Ray Eames were not traditional in any way, shape, or form, really. Um, in, for instance, he was in architecture school and dropped out um, but he was still, you know, a designer of things, just not buildings. Um, and uh, Ray, his wife... Was a classically trained painter. Yes. Uh, had studied with some German master in modernism or something mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, they they were these sort of 
off this very offbeat couple who would make these little movies and do photo shoots uh, that were sort of out there as well um, and uh, eventually got into creating uh, films for like IBM and uh, for uh, various corporate customers that explained very complex um, ideas in a way that was understandable. Yeah, the average person could understand. It's uh, the the Eames, uh, is it just called Eames or? I think so. Uh, it's on Curiosity Stream. And also, it, um, in reference to one of the films that they made, mm -hmm. Google Powers of Ten. Oh yeah, that and that's an actually a really interesting it's movie. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, Google Powers, Google Powers of, 10. of Ten. You may that. get you may get something that's more modern, um, but if you can find the one made by Charles and Ray Eames, it's it's a fascinating look at things that you just don't think about. It's all a matter of perspective. It is, um, and uh, we also watched Obit, a documentary. Oh, that was the other thing about uh, the obituary writers. At the New, York Times. the New York Times, and these aren't just your uh, name, date of death, uh, survivors, you know that kind of thing. This is these are obituaries for people who were either were or are newsworthy. And the stories are the obit doesn't even begin to these these are journalistic life stories mm -hmm. of these people and the writers who do them i found very interesting yeah they're an people. interesting lot yeah and and the guy who works down in the newspaper story morgue also a very interesting <laughs> he character. Was a character uh but yeah it there's a lot that goes into writing those and they all aren't written in advance especially when somebody like michael jackson dies sort of out of the blue Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've got to scramble because, especially now in the internet age, people expect that kind of stuff to hit the web in a matter of minutes, yeah. if not seconds, because people have no attention span anymore and no patience. But, uh, yeah, they're, the stories of how some of these things are written and um, the lengths they have to go to sometimes to get all the information they need. Um, it it was far more interesting than it had any right to be. It was very cool. The the it, it appealed to me on several different levels. First of all, I am very in touch with my dead people mm -hmm. because my dead people seem to stay very in touch with me. So <laughs> but no, seriously, I've been going to funerals and surrounded by the dead my entire life since early childhood. So um that part of it fascinated me. The, the part of me that fancies myself a bit of a writer or a storyteller myself, that hit me on a whole nother level because the research that they had to do, a lot of times they're talking to family members of the dearly departed person, trying to ascertain facts. Occasionally they'll get something wrong and have to retract a fact that they, that they mistook. Um, it was just really interesting to see these writers um, and the care that they take with each story because it's not just a death notice. It is a journalistic 
narrative of a person's not about their death, it's about their life. Right. They they do cover the bare facts about the the passing, but they oh and they, they don't use they euphemisms don't use euphemisms like passed away or, or slip this mortal coil or changed addresses from earth to heaven or <laughs> they say died. And yeah, that's, died death. Yeah. And that's yeah. you know, that's what it is. People die. Yeah, and the uh, some of them are read by well, the the woman reads a lot of the woman writer reads a lot of the stuff we hear in the documentary. I don't know if she wrote all of those, mm-hmm. but um, the the writing is is poetry almost. I it's mean, beautiful. It's, yeah, it's a so well done. These it's, people are writers. Well, yes, but you wouldn't think that the story of a guy who um, uh, consulted with Kennedy uh, for the 1960 presidential debate with Nixon would be so interesting. And so, you know, and his story is written, it's like a novel almost, or yeah. a short story, because it is a short story. It's his life. Um, but yeah, he, he was considered the first uh, television consultant for, for political a political campaign. campaign. Because TV was relatively new. It just goes to show everyone's life has a story. Mm -hmm. And those stories are worth knowing. Yeah. So, uh, Obit, again, it's on uh, uh, Curiosity Stream, a a service that you can get for like $4 a month. And it um, it is well worth it. Even if you only watch one documentary a month on the service. It's paid for itself. Exactly. There's some very interesting stuff on there. Stuff that, you know, I didn't think I would be all that interested in the Eames documentary, but watching it, it was like, oh, yeah, this is really interesting. The obit I was interested in, but I did not know how entertaining that would be. Yeah. Um, there's a thing on there about a giant aquarium they built in China. It's a two-parter. I've seen the first part. And even though you can tell somebody in China wrote the script and it's been translated uh, because it is so glowing about the park mm. and, and everything. Um, but it's still fascinating that they brought these, they brought in all these workers and created this incredibly huge, massive tank. Oh, I saw a piece of that while yeah, you were I, watching I think it. Yeah, I think you slept through a bit. In between bit naps. That. Um, and uh, I really want to watch the second part, you know, because they, uh, they hadn't opened yet. Um, and they, you know, they had to work around the monsoon season where they were building it. And, uh, just the technical, um, demands and problems of creating such a massive tank and these giant, uh, sheets of, uh, this, this glass like substance that weighed tons upon tons and they had like nine of them and they had to lay them in just perfectly and not bump them against each other when they were putting them in so that they didn't crack. Well, yeah, it would have to be super, super reinforced material to hold the weight and the mass of all that water. But it also had to be perfectly transparent. Yeah. So it's it, it was a f- very interesting. And occasionally they'll drop a new space dock, which I, I love that stuff. That's primarily the reason I got it, uh, got Curiosity Stream. 
occasionally there's uh, documentaries from uh, the British, the BBC, uh, called Horizon that cover various topics. Many times it is complicated uh, science, physics kind of things where they talk about black holes and alternate universes, uh, the multiverse and M-theory and all of that. And I just, I just eat that stuff up. I don't understand 90% of it when they talk about it, but it, they've got some pretty graphics, and so I'm in. So <laughs> Pretty graphics and big words. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Curiosity Stream for fact-based documentaries. There's very little woo-woo on there that I've discovered. Um, so uh, give, give, that, give that a shot. Uh, there is a really short, it's only 16 minutes long documentary on Netflix we watched called John Was Trying to Contact Aliens about this guy <laughs> who, whose home life was terrible so his uh, grandparents adopted him and for some reason he started putting together this transmitter and was shooting a radio signal out into space um, that he was trying to contact aliens and he would play various kinds of world music and afro pop and um, and just stuff that you would never hear on the radio and the uh, the project got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and his grandparents even put an addition onto their home that was two stories tall partially buried, you know, like a basement and a yeah. first floor, um, where he could store and continue to grow this massive transmitter that he didn't have a license for, and he really <laughs> didn't have any training for, but he just sort of tinkered with it and figured it out. And he that is pretty much what he devoted his entire life to. Uh, it's It's only 16 minutes long, and you've got to watch it, because... It is impossible, even with that short running time, to explain <laughs> what is going on. Uh, but uh, uh, John was trying to contact aliens on Netflix. Give that a look. Watched uh, several episodes of an animated comedy on Netflix called Hoops. I think they want to be the sort of bluer version of Family Guy with uh, and with their uh, silly situations and this... Uh, this basketball coach, it's about a, a basketball coach in a small town in Kentucky whose team sucks. Um, and he tries to go to these various lengths to get the seven-foot-tall kid in the school to join the basketball team. And there's a lot of cursing. Everybody cusses all the time. They do, the kids. Uh, and I've got a high threshold. Yeah, I, I think the show is trying to substitute foul language for humor or hoping that the foul language will be funny and, not and so much. it's it's not there's a you know some it's a, of it's all right it's but a miss for me yeah it it you you know i was like on the fifth or sixth episode because they're only half an hour long and you said now are you watching this just to complete it or do you actually like it and I said, you're right. I am just <laughs> watching this to complete it, and I am done. And that's when I watched John Was Trying to Contact Aliens. So, hoops. Maybe it'll be your thing, not mine so much. Uh, and over the weekend, watched uh, um, the streaming of the DC Fandome, 
which was their sort of version of Comic-Con in this age of the pandemic, where uh, everybody was uh, shot on a green screen and was, uh, you know, uh, pre-recorded and uh, remote and all of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, there were uh, several uh, uh, premieres of uh, new games. Um, Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad kill the uh, Justice League. Uh, so, something to look forward to if you're a gamer. And also, uh, the trailers for Wonder Woman 84, um, as well as the Snyder Cut of the Justice League movie, and the first look we got uh, at the Suicide Squad, James Gunn's take on the uh, group of misfits. And uh, also, uh, we got a look at uh, the Batman, that is... Only had about 25% shot, but uh, had, you know, a two-minute trailer. And to me, that was spectacular. So, uh, that's DC Fandom. There's plenty of stuff you'll be able to look at on the, uh, on the internet. A lot of YouTube videos. So, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, give that a look. Cool. Especially uh, since the cons aren't happening. Yes. Uh, no cons whatsoever, except online. All right. Well... I think that takes care of it. It does. Um, thank you very much for listening. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, tell your friends on your social media about Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Thank you very much. We've uh, had an uptick in downloads, so that is appreciated. We thank you very much. Um, we'll be back next time with uh, my choice, which will be something significantly lighter than Schindler's List. Uh, and we hope you join us then. Until next time, love you. Love you too. And later. later. Yay!